Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're having a great start to your month of December and, uh, and getting excited for Christmas. And Hey, I, I brought with me up here uh, this thing right here. How many of you know what this is? It's a tiki torch. That's right. You know, you're the first person I heard I say tiki in three services. I was like, would well, you guys know what this is? And everybody's like, no, it's a tiki torch. And I tell you, you know what tiki torch is? If you've seen them, you know, you just pop this little top off here and you light them like this. And they, they kind of put off some, you know, some light, you know. They might keep away a few mosquitoes. I don't know. But they kind of had a cool effect. I remember when my wife and I lived in Kansas City, we threw a big party one time in our backyard. And we lined our backyard with a bunch of these tiki torches. And I remember looking out at this party with all these people, with all the tiki torches. And I remember thinking, wow, that looks pretty cool. That looks pretty cool, you know. If you've ever used tiki torches, they add a little bit of cool. Well, I want you to use your imagination with me today, okay. This is where you got to just kind of think about stuff. Here you have this tiki torch here. I want you to imagine, what would this look like if it wasn't just this small tiki torch, but let's say it was about 75 feet tall. All right, can you visualize that? And it's not just some little flickering flame at the top. No, we've got a pretty good fire going on at the top, and it sheds a lot of light on what you're doing. Can you visualize that? Now, visualize this. Not just one, but let's say three or four of these 75-foot-tall tiki torches, and they're all kind of lined up together. And let's say underneath them, you are um, having the camp out of your life, okay? You have pitched a tent. All your family and your best friends are there. You are having just a wonderful time. This is an incredible camp out. That would be pretty cool, don't you think? That'd be a pretty cool camp out. Now, I want you to just... Think about what it would be like. You're there with your friends, your family. You're sharing stories. And these stories are all about how God has taken care of you and, and how he has provided for you and just how good God is. And you're reading scripture together. And it's this wonderful time uh, with family and friends and all believers and talking about how great God is. And then let's say somebody in your camp out they had a guitar with them. Maybe John was with you. And he said, I brought my guitar. And he pulls his guitar out and you start singing praises to God. And you're singing all these wonderful praises and everybody knows. You don't need lyrics. You don't need words. You just already know what the words are. And you're just singing and you're praising. These lights are burning. The night sky is lit up and you're having the most wonderful time of your life. Can you visualize that? Something like that. This is so good. It goes on for seven entire days. This is how good this camp out is. These flames are burning seven days. They don't go out for seven days. You're just having the time of your life. But then on the eighth day, it's time to put this flame out. The party's almost over. The flame is gone. The eighth and final day of this camp out, it's kind of sad I mean, there's not any singing really anymore. There's, it's kind of somber. There's a very somber, reflective, quiet day. What I've just described to you is kind of a little modern day twist on uh, something the Bible calls the Festival of Tabernacles. In the Old Testament, we read about a number of festivals, sometimes referred to as feasts. And let's be honest, it can be a little bit tricky for Christians today to kind of keep all of these things straight. But there were a couple of them that were really big ones. And like, like everybody goes to these. You don't miss these unless you have any, no reason at all. You don't miss these. And one of those was called the Festival of Tabernacles. And what the Israelites would do is that they would literally kind of have a camp out for eight straight days. 
All the Israelites, family by family, they would have makeshift dwellings. They would have, we'll just call them tents. They would, they would just live out. And the reason they would do this is that every year around July, they would have this eight-day-long camp out so that they would remember, they would relive, they would celebrate God's provisions and his guidance, all going all the way back to when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they crossed the Red Sea, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they lived in tents, and they had the tabernacle. And so God's like, every year I want you to get together for eight days and I want you to live out in tents and I want you to celebrate what I have done. And, and this is a celebration that in some shape or form has pretty much been consistent all throughout scripture days. And it would take on over time different traditions. They added things to this celebration. And one of the things that we learned from, from, from um, rabbinical writings way back in the day is that they added these torches, these 75 foot tall, I call them tiki torches, but they call them golden candlesticks. 75 foot tall, and they would provide light over the entire temple courtyards there in Jerusalem as part of this eight day long festival of tabernacles. Now, we, we read in, in ancient rabbinical writings that uh, the fire from these candles they would be lit by, by placing ladders up against them. And, and it's very clear. It says, the young men climbed the ladders, not the old guys. The young guys climbed these 75-foot ladders all the way to the top, and they lit these torches. And the wicks from the torches, you know what they're made out of? Old priestly garments. It's pretty spiritual fire, I would say. And these fires would burn for these seven days. And at the base of these, these candlesticks, these tiki torches, tiki torches the, the people would have smaller torches. There would be dancing. There would be singing. If, some, if people brought harps and lyres and trumpets and all kinds of instruments, they were playing that all at the base. It was quite a celebration. Get this camp out for eight days. Can you visualize it? Pretty awesome thing. But then what, on the eighth day, the final day, these 75 foot tall torches, they were extinguished. Darkness came over the courtyard there at the temple. And that last day, this final day of the assembly, it was a very somber day. It was very solemn. It was unlike the previous seven. It was very, very quiet. Well, in the book of John in the New Testament, chapter seven, um, Jesus is having a conversation with his brothers, not the disciples, but his brothers. You may not know this, but Jesus had biological brothers. And Mary and Joseph, they went on to have um, other children as married couples often do. And Jesus is talking with his brothers and they ask him, hey Jesus, are you going up to Jerusalem for the festival of tabernacles this year? And Jesus says in John chapter seven to his brothers, no, I don't think I'm gonna go with you this year. And then he says this little qualifier. He says, my time has not yet come. What in the world did he mean that my time has not, I'm not gonna go up to Jerusalem, my time has not yet come. See, we understand because we have the complete New Testament now, Jesus always knew that he was gonna die on a cross in Jerusalem at the hands of the religious leaders. He always knew he would do that for the sins of the world. But that time had not yet come. In John chapter seven, it was not yet time for that. And he's like, there are people there that want my life and it's to go to the cross now would be premature. You guys go without me. And as you read John chapter seven, you come down to verse 10 and Jesus changes his mind. Look at, look at verse 10. It'll be on the screens behind me if you didn't open your Bibles, but it says, however, after his brothers had left for the festival, this festival of tabernacles, 
After they left, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. He got into Jedi mode. He pulled a hood over his head and he slipped into the crowd. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. Can you tell Star Wars is coming out in a couple weeks? I'm totally in Jedi mode, all right? Yes, we'll be there. Already got the tickets, had them for a month. Doesn't everybody? Okay, just wondering. It says, verse 11, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus. So he was right, wasn't he? They were looking for him. Because they were looking for Jesus, and they asked, where is he? Verse 12, among the crowds, there was a widespread whispering about him. Some said, he was a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leader. So what do we know for sure? No, they were, people were kind of undecided about Jesus. This is still, you know, they're trying to figure him out. Some said he was good. Some said, no, he deceives. But what they all knew was what? They wanted him dead. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything publicly because we know the religious leaders don't like him and I'm not gonna get pulled into that. Verse 14. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? So I hope you can picture the scene. The temple courts there in Jerusalem, they are full of people. And about halfway through the festival, probably somewhere around day four, Jesus quietly slips in through the crowds. Even though there's people there that wanna kill him, he slips in and Jesus begins to do what Jesus does best, which is tell people about God. Tell people about the righteousness of God. Talk about what God wants for their life. And he begins to teach and people are amazed. At Jesus had such learning. This is consistent all over the New Testament. People were wowed and amazed. How did this guy, the son of a carpenter, know so much about God and speak with so much authority and do what he did? This is the same kind of response here in John chapter seven. Well, as you read the rest of John chapter seven, which is, you know, as the days progress, the final days of this festival, the religious leaders, these Pharisees, they are looking for an opportunity to arrest Jesus. They are so done with him. And towards the end of the festival, there at the end of John chapter seven, they, they summons the temple guards, which are soldiers to protect the temple, and they go, you get out there and you arrest them. And so we read these temple guards, they make their way through the crowd, and they're just looking for their opportunity to arrest Jesus, but they don't. They don't. In fact, after a while, they come back and say, we're not gonna arrest him. Now, now, here's how it goes. Look at verse 45 of chapter seven. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Notice, why did you disobey an order? And listen to what they said. Um, because no one ever spoke the way this man does. You understand, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's an incredible response. Yeah, we went to go do it, and, and, and we were looking for opportunity, but then we kind of got caught up with what he was saying. And we were so taken back by what he was saying and looked at how everybody was responding to him, we couldn't arrest him. We couldn't arrest him. And, and if you keep reading the rest of chapter seven, there's this, convert, this argument. They're, they're furious. They're angry at these temple guards. And like, you are just as deceived as all of those people out there right now listening to Jesus. I want you all to be cursed. I mean, oh, they're, they're losing their minds. The next day, the festival has entered its eighth day. 
There's still plenty of people in the temple courts. These giant 75-foot tiki torches, these candlesticks, they've been extinguished, but they're still there. Jesus spent the night on the Mount of Olives. He comes back the next day. You know, you can tell the party's winding down. I mean, there's, the, the porta-potties are still there. They haven't been removed yet. And, and, and they're still probably trash. If you've ever been to an outdoor concert, the next day, it's kind of a messy place, right? It kind of looks like, you know, what this church building looks like after a week-long vacation Bible school around here. It's a mess. But Jesus is there. Everything's winding up, but there's lots of people. And he begins to teach. If you can imagine the scene... There, Jesus, in the backdrop are these 75-foot-tall torches that have been extinguished. And Jesus says some of the most powerful words that you're ever gonna hear him say. It's John chapter eight, verse 12. And he looks out at the crowd, he's listening, and he says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine this, this burnout torch? Underneath it, Jesus says, I in the light of the world. He goes on to say, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can somebody say, wow? I mean, how powerful are those words on those days? One thing is for certain from scripture, Jesus had impeccable timing, didn't he? He knew how to capitalize on a moment. Here he is at the base of these, these tall torches, and he says, I'll tell you something about light. I'm the light, I'm the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. This, my friends, is a life-changing verse if you can see it for what it is. When Jesus said that I am the light of the world, he is proclaiming this, I am the revelation of God. That's what I am. When I say that I am the light of the world, I am the revelation of God. I'm the one who was sent by God to shed light, to reveal God's truth. And this truth that I'm here to reveal, it is like light in the darkness. Jesus describes himself as light. Light is the absolute uh, opposite of darkness, so it's like I'm the complete opposite. I have come to reveal, I'm God's revelation, I'm here to shed light, I am the light of the world. And you know, this whole month, you can't escape it. People are gonna ask the question, what is the real meaning of Christmas? We're gonna ask that question here over the next few, few weeks. We're, you're gonna hear all the arguments um, that we hear every year. Merry Christmas or happy holidays. What can you say? What can you not say? We're gonna have that argument for the 87th year in a row. What do you do? But I want you to know right here in this one singular verse captures the real meaning of Christmas. I am the light of the world. You know, when, when John introduced his gospel back in John chapter one, you don't need to turn there, I'll have it on the screen, but in his opening words, he writes this about Jesus. He says this, in him, in Jesus, is life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's not a surprise, is it, that it was a light that was bright and it came over the house where Jesus was born. It was a light, it was a star, it was a bright light that guided the Magi all the way to where Jesus was. Jesus said, I'm the light, I am God's revelation. John describes him as the light. 
all throughout prophecies, he talks about the light. Jesus was the light, revealing the way through the darkness. This, my friends, is a life-changing verse. If you can see it for what it is. This past summer, many of you know that my wife and I celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. And to celebrate, we went on a cruise. And I've talked to you about this a little bit. This is the same cruise I discovered you could put lobster inside macaroni and cheese. Okay, that's that, that cruise, all right? One thing I loved about that cruise, and, and we've been on a, a few other cruises, but I love to walk out on the top deck and go to the front of the boat and just lean up against the railing and peer off into the vastness of the ocean. Have you ever done that? I love doing that. There's nothing to see, really, just water for miles and miles. But on one particular night on our vacation, um, the sun had already gone down. It was after dinner. We had just left our port and had been cruising for a little while. I went up on deck, and it's completely dark outside, and I leaned up against the railing, and I watched out over the water, and you could see absolutely nothing. Nothing but pitch darkness, just black. Black ocean, all as far as the eye could see. We were, um, we were cruising through a, this bay, and when I say bay, I mean this bay felt like the ocean. It was huge. There was nothing around, but technically, we weren't to the ocean, ocean left. We weren't out to open water. We're just cruising through the bay, getting to the ocean. And as I stood out there on the top deck, and I looked out into the darkness, way out there, I saw this little, what seemed little to me, blinking light out on the water. And I thought, oh, what, what is that? And as we got a little closer to it, I noticed that beyond that first light, there was another light. And then beyond that light, there was another light. Now, I, this may surprise you. I didn't grow up with maritime rules and understanding boating. I, it didn't make sense to me right away what these lights were. And I was curious, what in the world are those lights? Then we got close enough to the first one. And I realized, ah, oh, it's a buoy. It's a buoy floating in the water with a big light on it. And as I stared out into the vastness, the dark sky, the dark ocean, I could see that these buoys lined up for as far as the eye could see, all flashing lights like a runway for an airplane, all the way out. It dawned on me what this was for. These buoys were actually lighting up a safe path through the bay, helping our ship all the way out to the ocean, navigating, showing us the way, this light, that's what they were for. And in the same way, when I read these verses here in John, uh, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. And when he says, I'm a light that shines in the darkness, John 1, 5. I'm reminded of that night on the deck of that ship and just as those lights, those buoys, they shined through the darkness and guided our way that night. Jesus shines in the darkness and he guides us in the direction that we should go in this life. So Jesus said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Now Jesus is talking about sin. His reference to darkness is his reference to sin, meaning that if you follow me, I am the light that will lead you to freedom from sin. Have you ever been in such a dark place that you can't see the hand in front of your face, even if it's two inches in front of you? Have you ever gone into a cave and they turned out all the lights? Have you ever gone into a closet and all the lights were out and it is so dark you can't even distinguish right from left your hand? Have you ever experienced that? If you have, then you know that it doesn't take very much light in those situations to make a huge difference, does it? 
Just a little nightlight, a, a little pin light, just a little bit can illuminate such a, a dark place. You know, it makes a huge difference. Well, you know, in Scripture, darkness, as I was saying, is a reference to sin. Jesus is a reference to light and salvation. Light in the darkness, a very small light in a very dark place makes a huge difference. Well, Jesus makes a huge difference in a very dark place, which is this world. And if you follow that light, it will guide you from the darkness. You'll never walk in darkness again because Jesus overcomes sins. That's what he means when he says, I am the light of the world. This is a life-changing verse. If you can see it for what it is. Not only is it life-changing, but this verse helps us complete the picture that the Bible paints for us of who Jesus is, what he was all about, what he came to this earth to do, and what he is still about in this day. Jesus made a number of statements. We're just looking at one of them where he says, I am the light of the world. But you understand that. You can understand the other things he said. You know what else he said? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Do you know what he means by that? He is saying, listen, I am the source of all truth. I am the source of all things God. If you wanna know God, it's gotta come through me. I'll show you, I'll teach you, I'll guide you. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to him except by me. I'm the source. He also says, I am the bread of life. You know, we know what bread or food does for us. It sustains our physical body. You can't live without food. Some of us could live longer than others, but you can't live without food. I'd probably outlive all of you. But Jesus says, I've got something that will sustain your soul. I have a spiritual food. I am that Food. I am the bread of life. So I am the way and I am the bread. You know what else he said? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. You know what that teaches us? That Jesus is committed to caring and watching over that which is, is his own. So I'm the good shepherd. You know what else he says? He says, I am the true vine. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means this. And the Bible says he is the vine and we are the branches. So if we connect ourselves to Christ, if we connect ourselves to the vine, if Christ is the true vine and we latch on and connect to him, then it means his life, his spirit will flow through us. And when that happens, we cannot help but bear good fruit that will honor our father. So I am the true vine. So he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light to this dark, lost world, and I will guide you out of it. And we get this picture of who Jesus is. So this entire Christmas season, we are focusing on the birth of Christ, obviously, the coming of our Savior, but specifically, we're focusing in on one of these statements. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am a light in the darkness. And over the next few weeks, we are gonna learn together, we're gonna be inspired together that if Jesus truly is the light in the darkness, then do you realize what that means, the implications for our lives today? One of those is this, you can live your life without any fear. I don't know if you know you can do that or not. 
Because Jesus is the light in the dark world, you can live in this dark world without any fear. And we are drastically affected by this. That we can also overcome this darkness. We are not stuck. We are not just stuck in our sin. No, no, no. We can come out of it. He can be a light that guides us to new life. We don't have to stay where we are. No, 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 no. Jesus is the light. He can bring us out of the darkness and we can experience new life. And you know what else we can do in this dark world? We can share that light with others. Huge implications. This is gonna be a powerful few weeks here at New Life, and I just want to encourage you. I know it's so difficult at times, especially when the business of the holidays to, to maybe just make church kind of a back burner issue for you, but let me tell you, don't do that this month. Be at church, invite your friends, get your family here with you. I believe this is gonna be a life-changing verse. As we unpack this idea, Jesus is a light in the darkness, and I just want you to know right now here at the front end, all the things that we're gonna be talking about and singing about over the next few weeks, it all culminates, it all comes together on Christmas Eve. All of these pieces pour in to that singular moment. So I don't know what you're doing on Christmas Eve, but you want to be here. You have three opportunities. We have three services. They're all identical, but everything we're talking about culminates on Christmas Eve. Let me just say, we're, don't, don't miss it. Well, I, don't, I don't know each of you um, the same way here. I, I don't know where everybody's walk is with Jesus. I, I don't know where you are at spiritually today. Of course, my hope would, would be that every last one of us right now is walking in the light. That, that would be my hope and my prayer. Like Jesus said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. My hope and prayer is that a, that is everybody in this room. But if you don't have his light today, you can have it right now by trusting Christ. What do I mean specifically when I say to trust Christ? What I mean by that is you can choose, you can make an active decision to believe that Jesus Christ lived, he died on the cross, he was put in a tomb for three days, three days after that he, he rose to life and he is alive today and he's coming back again. That's trusting Christ and if you believe that, you can have his light. The Bible also teaches us that those that believe that, and that's, when I say believe it, that is the foundation of our faith. It's what we believe, it's, it's who we are as Christians. That truth that Jesus died and he rose to life. And he did that for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. That's our faith. And people that come to that conviction, that faith, the Bible says they repent of their sins. So it's like this understanding that Jesus did this for me and, and the way I've been living, I've been living for myself, making all my own rules, making all my own decisions, living for my own pleasures. And those sins put Jesus on the cross. That's why he died. And you come into that realization, he died for me so that I can go to heaven. Oh God, I am so sorry for the way I've been living my life. So you believe and you repent of your sins and you spend the rest of your life to the best of your ability living for your Savior. That's why I say all the time, God cares more about where you're going than where you've been because you have a from this day forward mentality. From this day forward, I will live for my Savior. My prayer and hope is that all of us in this room have come to that conclusion. And, and, and if you haven't yet, I implore you today to do it. 
Let me encourage you with this last scripture before we're done here today. It's John chapter three, verse 19 and, and through 21. John says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light. Boy, doesn't that sound like our world today? People love darkness because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But, verse 21, whoever lives by the truth, in other words, I believe, I have faith, I told God I'm sorry, I'm gonna live for the truth now. Whoever lives for the truth, who lives by the truth, comes into the light. It means we have followed Jesus out of darkness so that it may be seen plainly that what, have, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In other words, God knows when you do it. 